you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Tuesday, May 24th, 2022. This is episode number 286. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis' Favorite Grandma, a.k.a. Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 30,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you would like to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today, we're talking about a cannabis industry consultant behind the Anaheim corruption, a rare ruling in court in the UK for a patient caregiver, moving from euphoria to tripping balls, what primary victories mean for cannabis legalization, the FDA needs weed, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What have you got for us today, Rico? So I got a little bit of international news for everybody today coming out of Germany. It's by Julius Fasnacht and Sandra Kathe from the Frankfurt New Press. With Snoop Dogg's millions, Kansativa expands cannabis distribution. Amber Heard and Johnny Depp have had legal issues about smuggling their dog into Australia, which is one of their many key points in a very public drama being played out for the American public currently. Had this been Germany, the local government would have had zero issues because apparently they love dogs. Snoop Dogs, to be exact. And for today's story from the Frankfurter New Press, the dog father backed Casa Verde expands its offering in the German cannabis distribution startup, Cansativa. The Hess-based company announced yesterday medical pharmacies can now also purchase cannabis from the Canadian manufacturer Aurora Cannabis through them. According to Cansativa, Aurora is the only company in Germany allowed to sell medical weed from local cultivation sites. Cansativa manager Roland Schneller said in the article, For the first time, we are giving our customers exclusive access to the products of all med- medical cannabis products growing in Germany. Cansativa also sells c- clones to patients wishing to buy and cultivate on their own. 
Young cannabis plants from pharmaceutical company Demican can be found in their massive product range, open to distribution throughout the country. Since being awarded the contract by Federal Institute for, uh, for Drugs and Medical Devices in 2020, Cansativa has been on a rapid growth track, taking over the majority of Germany's distribution needs, supplying German-grown cannabis pharmacies almost a year now. Canadian manufacturer Tilray and Dresden-based startup Demican have been the two major benefactors, but with Aurora now in the mix, Cansativa estimates it'll be providing an estimated 2.6 tons of medical cannabis annually over the next four years. Since 2020, pharmacy, pharmacies have had access to pharmaceutical-grade product for patient care, and medical cannabis has been legal in the country since 2017. Seeing the boon coming from thousands of miles away, foreign investors flooded the market with cash, and with Cansativa being the top dog with two Gs, with their connection to Snoop, the company raked in 13 million euros last year from Casa Verde alone, which is about 14 million in U.S. dollars. I had to point out a German article took a little jab at the big at the big dog too, with their description of Casa Verde capital in the article. Uh, here's the quote. Behind the company is a self-confessed pothead with U.S. rapper Snoop Dogg. <laughs> the German cannabis market has been hot since 2018, attracting investors from all over the globe because of its contradictory structure in the primarily socialist state. Cansativa's dominance in distribution highlights this as they have no notable competitors. And with the recent pickup of Aurora's product suite, it's beginning to look a wee bit monopolistic. It'll be interesting to see how their new president, uh, their new president Frank Walter Steinmeier, will handle the issue going forward now that Angela Merkel is gone, and he'll allow, and if he'll be allowing top-heavy investments and the glut that comes with them to continue. This is Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Interested in hearing what everyone else has to say about this? Anybody else interested in Germany or got uh, money over there? That shit's all boof-ass weed, Rico. I mean, it's local product, uh, just uh, rebadged uh, for all these Canadian companies, right? It's all boof. All boof. I feel bad for the people that have to smoke that shit. Hey, there's a play, though, for um, I think there's a lot of people, uh, different cannabis companies that are looking at Europe. I was at Benzinga, and uh, Boris Johnson with Cureleaf made a big deal about wanting to um, to work on gaining assets over in Europe and really want to create brands that are going to be um, adopted by uh, Europe. And I think that gateway is through Germany. So um, oh, yeah. I don't think this is the first that we're going to hear about this. No, it's huge. There's a huge opportunity over in Germany. Um, but they were saying like Germany, Hamburg, and uh, I think it was Prague. They were um, eyeing to be the uh, international European hub for cannabis uh, before long. Uh, they pretty much opened or laid out the red carpet for any cannabis companies to come out there and just do work a few years back. And that's what they're doing. These monopolies are being built early and it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it going forward if, they're, if they'll be broken up because it is a socialist state. I am not surprised at all, Roz, that Boris made those comments during Benziga, especially after the news article that I covered about him yesterday. Oh yeah, oligarch city. We've got Joey up from the audience. Joey, did you want to weigh in on Rico's headline? Yeah, I just want to say props to you, Rico. I, I studied German in college. Uh, it's not always easy to uh, translate those articles, even if they're in English. <laughs> so nice job on that. And I'm just excited because um, a couple of years ago, you know, this would 
they didn't even talk about really cannabis in Germany. And I think with the legalization and um, just it becoming more popular in the United States, it is it is affecting what's going on in Europe. And I think we can we can see more and more because like when I was in Germany, that's the longest I went without smoking weed, and that was terrible, and it was bad weed too. So um, I definitely I definitely encourage this, and hopefully they can just get get become less socialist and get. Uh, and let some players in the market and, and hopefully uh, adopt a, a good program where they can get better weed and and uh, not just big corporations in there. Yeah, much That's right. Yeah, much appreciated, Joey. Actually, the- actually uh, one, so one second, Jason. I actually lived in uh, Germany for five years when I was young. I was a military kid. Lived in Munich for three years and Augsburg for two from when I was five to ten. Appreciate the love there, man. Dr. Sharon. Joey, you're totally right. Socialism fucking sucks. It's not the system. It's people running the system, Jason. Capitalism sucks for many people here in America. Why? Because you have a bunch of dickheads at the top of the fucking totem pole. That's not why. That's not why. And capitalism is fucking amazing and allows for all the fucking opportunity that we have in America. It's It's the reason that everyone wants to come to America is because we're a capitalist country and we're the land of opportunity. I'm pretty pretty sure a lot of the reason why uh, so many people want to come to America is because capitalism from America has fucked up the rest of the world. Has it not that is not at all why. That's total fucking fake bullshit news, oh Rico, and you know it. God. Total fucking bullshit. Oh my bullshit. God, follow the money. Total fucking follow bullshit, the money. bro. Follow the money. Follow Snoop Dogg's money. How much money do you need, Snoop? Come on. 14 Let's million share. from Casa Verde. Yeah. U.S. Yeah, this weed actually hits the self. It's going to be nothing but booth packs. Exactly what I said. <laughs> well, Jason's going to talk about following some money anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited for yours, Jason. <laughs> let's get it. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. it. He's the industry's longest continuously operating retailer and a firm believer the future evolution of Dr. Mehmet Oz's stance on cannabis leading to joblessness and emotional addiction. <laughs> Also the president of West Hollywood Cannabis Tourism and an avid lover of mink coats, private jets, responding to his calling in life, identifying and eradicating the globe in the supply of boof internationally. Jason Beck, what you got for us today, brother? I've some spice. Oh, yeah. That is so true. My story today, it's a little bit long, so I hope everyone can buckle up and take a seat because this is a follow-up from one of my stories last week where cannabis licensing efforts tied to Anaheim corruption investigation and a Democratic leader, Melahat Rafi, also a consultant to cannabis companies, confirmed she cooperated with the FBI for over three years. The lure of potential profits and the fertile ground of corruption that sounded the legal cannabis industry helped unravel a series of scandalous Scandals played out this week in Anaheim. Longtime Democratic leader and cannabis consultant Melahat Rafi on Thursday confirmed she is the FBI's prime conspirating witness in a corruption investigation that is focused on Anaheim Mayor Harry Sidhu, among others, and led to federal charges against former Anaheim Chamber Todd Emmett. This week, the investigation uh, stalled. stalled a $320 million deal to sell Angel Stadium. It has also led to calls for Sadu to resign. Melahat 
who is a member of the Democratic National Committee and involved in campaigns for a number of prominent candidates, told the Register she's been cooperating with the FBI in an investigation focused on corruption in Anaheim since 2019. She was arrested on charges of theft or bribery involving federal funds related to a cannabis scheme, alleging alleged allegations she denies and that subsequently have been dismissed without prejudice, which means they could be filed again later. In 2019, I was approached by the FBI who wrongly believed I was involved in improperly influencing public officials, she said in a statement. I don't necessarily buy all that, but okay. Thursday morning, I cooperated fully with the FBI doing what I could to help in their effort to root out corruption in Anaheim city government. It sounds like snitching to me. The FBI says in the court records that she has some doubts about whether Raffi has been entirely truthful throughout the process. And I, I would, I'm going to believe this person, but it was through her cooperation that her arrest that the FBI learned that the city of Anaheim was tightly controlled by a small cadre of individuals, including Sidhu and Amit, including to an, according to an affidavit filed in federal court Monday, May 16th. As a cooperating witness, Rafi used recording devices from the FBI to tape evidence that is now key to charges brought against Amit, and Amit's eventual cooperation has led to, to the evidence that the FBI says in, indicts Sidhu uh, shared confidential information with Angels Baseball during a time when the city was negotiating the stadium deal in the hope that it would receive campaign contributions in return. Court records also allege that Sidhu canceled the poss- uh, concealed the possibility and destroyed evidence, similar to Hillary Clinton, tampered with a witness and committed fraud to avoid paying taxes on a helicopter she purchased. To date, Sidhu has has not commented on the allegations and documents lay out a plan where the chamber under Amit had created a cannabis task force to explore allowing cannabis businesses to come to Anaheim. But federal authorities allege in court documents that the task force was just a way for Amit with help from an an unnamed political consultant to get money from cannabis businesses under the false pretense of using the funds to advocate for the industry. Instead, the investigation says the political consultant helped Amit defraud a cannabis company and embezzle those funds for personal use. While the affidavits in the Amit and Sudhu investigation don't name the consultant, they cite details. The consultant's firm is in the same building as in the Anaheim Chamber as the Anaheim Chamber of Commerce. And lobbying reports required by Anaheim show the consultant did work for Angel Stadium buyer SRB Management that align with Jeff Flint of FSB Public Affairs. Multiple sources also identified Flint as the political consultant and asked for comment. Flint emailed a statement that said he's troubled by what's in the affidavits. I have no hesitation in saying that I firmly believe I did nothing wrong nor illegal. Flint said he also said he's uh, taking a leave of absence from his role as CEO of the firm to prevent such allegations from impacting his team. The dominoes started to fall back in 2018 when the then leaders of the cannabis company, which the register has learned was Irvine based Terratech, hired Raffi to help lobby the city of Irvine for favorable cannabis laws. But the FBI says Terratech leaders who had held prior relationship with the agency, informed them that Rafi soon started started day to devise a scheme in which Terratech would give her money to bribe two elected members of the Irvine City Council in exchange for the council members performing 
performing official acts, resulting in the passage of favorable cannabis laws. It's unclear if any member of the Irvine Council sought a bribe or had any contact with, with Rafi, but based on the tip from Terratech leaders, who the FBI says were motivated by patriotism and wish to minimize co- corrupt public officials, the agency then bugged Rafi's phone and used a wire on one of the Terratech leaders to tape Rafi discussing a potential opportunity in Anaheim. Also, too, I think it's important to, to note that the Terratech uh, thing also uh, happened in, in Oakland, where they also wore a wire in the, in the whole Dan Rush situation a number of years ago as well. So these people are not, uh, you know, as scrupulous as people would want to say. In a, in a transcript of such interaction, Rafi tells Terratech leaders that big money was needed for, for chamber people and others in Anaheim. She said that there was no guarantee they'd get a license to operate in the city, but that the cannabis company would be able to help dictate conditions of the city's cannabis ordinance if they played ball. Later in that same meeting, an unnamed associate of Rafi says that the chamber is just the vehicle that can drive political cover to give the policymakers what they need. While Terratech, what, uh, which was cooperating with the FBI, didn't take the bait, Another of Rafi's clients did on encouraging on encouragement from Rafi the, uh, from the Earth, which was run uh, which has ran a legal cannabis shop in Santa Ana for over seven years, gave two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars to the Anaheim Chamber of Commerce Cannabis Task Force through a series of wire transfers, with the understanding that the money would cover fees for attorneys and canvassers and other services commonly needed in a legal effort to get a cannabis ordinance approved in a new city. Instead, FBI records allege that Amit, with help from a political consultant, used some of the money personally, including for the purchase of a home in Big Bear. The FBI hasn't alleged any wrongdoing um, on From the Earth's part, saying that the company was defrauded. Uh, asked about the investigation, Dan Zahoni, CEO from the Earth, said in an email statement, we are continually uh, disappointed that legitimate law-abiding cannabis businesses like from the Earth are negatively affected by the corrupt and unethical practices of our existing political leadership. These, these people are, are a strain on our industry and must be brought to, to justice. We certainly intend to take all necessary legal action to hold accountable those who wronged our company. Rafi declined to discuss the case further, adding in her statement that she has faith in our legal system and that I am confident that the, that this will, will this will be the result in the end. I will be vindicated and my name will be cleared of any involvement in public corruption. Yeah, but you're always going to be labeled a snitch. And my good buddy, Lou Correa, who is a great Democrat that I love and respect, Uh, said he was disappointed to see members of the cannabis industry involved in the scandal, even as victims. And Correa has long been a proponent of medical marijuana and regulated access to cannabis. But he's also raised flags about how laws that force cannabis businesses to operate legally in cash is simply a recipe for disaster. And that's when I say pass safe fucking banking. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Bullshit. This has nothing to do with fucking safe banking. Right. And that was the longest longest story ever. Like, that was the longest news story. My God. It was was just corruption, corruption, corruption. It ain't the first time, and it's not going to be the last. No, not not at all. I I just, I I first heard word of this, um, of this, this entire case and this whole thing going down on Friday. 
And uh, Rafi was actually at the Cannabis Science Conference. I didn't get a chance to meet her or ask her any questions. But damn, she got brought down and snitching on everybody. She's out in public telling her story <laughs> as well. And this is uh, this is coming out of Orange County. I mean, it just goes to show that, you know, politicians on both sides, all that matters is the fucking money. And um, they won't anyway, any means to get it. And Jason's favorite county of Orange is that's the right. most corrupt in the entire state. A well, that's because we have to... for cash dollars. Well, that's because all the Democrats in Orange County. Yeah, there are so many Democrats in Orange County. Yeah, there's like three. No, I mean, I'm I'm curious. So I'm I'm a little confused about Terratech's role in all this. Um, Terratech had a shop in but... Santa Ana, and they and they were mm. and they were lobbying to have have another store in Anaheim. So that's that's where that whole connection comes into play. I think the biggest I think the yeah. biggest question on everybody's mind at the end of this whole um, lead up to federal legalization is which one of the MSOs is not going to be embroiled in a political scandal. <laughs> that's a good point. You know, I I met Malahat many times and she could never look me in the eye. I had a I was so suspicious of her. And I'm also told through many uh, prominent Democrats through, throughout the state that every Democrat in the state is quietly cutting the cord with Melahat. So good for them. I think they're publicly Just cutting. Just fake news, Jason. No, they're publicly cutting the cord. Right. At least Democrats have the uh, backbone to cut the cord with corrupt politicians. Right. Yes. Hold on, hold on. Right. Melahat is not a well, Melahat is not a politician. She's a lobbyist and a fundraiser. Let's keep Yeah, and if Democrats are cutting ties with her, it sounds like they might be into a little bit of ethics, something that is very foreign to yeah. the public. Yeah, ethics. Read just about that, it. Or, or, just they don't, or they don't just want to get wrapped up in the fucking tornado that's running through Orange County right now, surrounded by Melahat. They'd rather, they be, they'd rather the be wrapped up in the orange tornado that is Donald J. Trump. And Dr. Oz. Well, you know, all those corruption cages are being vindicated if you haven't been watching the trial lately. What? Ma ma all the Russia, maybe Russia, we Russia. should. <laughs> um, let's keep smoking the news. All right. Coming up next, this pinup girl isn't just your ordinary man cave wallpaper. She's an all around data cruncher that's known a thing or two about numbers and shit. An educator, brand strategist healthcare consultant and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. It's none other than Liz Rogan. What do you have this morning for us, Liz? Hey, thank you, Jason. Happy Tuesday, everyone. Thanks for joining with us today. My story comes from Marijuana Moment by Kyle Yeager, and the headline is Top Federal Drug Agency Seeks New Suppliers of Marijuana for Research. So my story in a nutshell is that NIDA wants more weed. They're sick of old Miss as their only supplier because she only sells hemp boof. So NIDA wants some more plugs and sees that the DEA has some friends growing cannabis and psilocybin. And they want to get in on that good, good craft flower and more. But seriously, on Friday, the National Institute of Drug Abuse, NIDA, posted a, quote, sources saw it notice seeking capability statements from DEA authorized cultivators on acquisition and or production of cannabis and related materials. So NIDA is looking for more research material. They're saying that the interested parties would need to be able to produce and 
procure cannabis, cannabis extract, and other cannabis-derived materials for basic and clinical research. They have to conduct quantitative and qualitative analysis, stability determination, and recommended storage conditions for these products for approved research. Not only will the contractor need the ability to isolate uh, pure THC and other cannabinoids, they're also looking at their, one of their responsibilities would be to roll and test joints. Seriously, the quotas obtain cannabis extract of known potencies, manufacture marijuana cigarettes of varying potencies, and provide purified materials and marijuana cigarettes for research, end quote. So NIDA says that the research is looking at uh, minor cannabinoids like CBG, CBN, and other lesser studied cannabis constituents, and interested organizations have to demonstrate and document that they can pull this off with extensive experience and the ability to perform the tasks and coordinate these interrelated tasks in an effective and timely manner. So they've got some serious requirements here um, uh, with their uh, new plugs here, but experts and lawmakers have like constantly complained about, everyone has talked about how this supply of cannabis that NIDA is using, this old miss is basically hemp and it's old, nobody wants to do the research on it. It doesn't reflect what's currently on the market. Even the head of NIDA, who is Nora Volkow, said that she wouldn't even work on the onerous process of getting approved to study, to study a Schedule One drug like cannabis. So there's a lot uh, holding up here, but hopefully this will start to move us forward. This is just a, you know, a request for applications of capacity, but the DEA has been increasing their annual production quotas um, with the drop in uh, boundaries to regulations and with the laws. So basically, we're still moving forward. Uh, Joe Biden signed a massive infrastructure bill last year that looks at allowing research to actually study um, the actual cannabis from the state dispensaries. And, and then NIDA is also um, reaffirming their own interest in supporting cannabis research and looking at funding of proposals for researchers and how to apply. So Hopefully we're moving forward in here and hopefully NIDA will get some better weed to study that's not just boof. So this is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. The boof, you said the boof, boof, you gonna need a boof vest? Oh my God. So listen, wasn't this the same, wasn't there a situation going on a couple of weeks ago that these same particular um, companies who've been, um, who've been approved were like shell companies, and now they were being traded on NASDAQ because they've been approved to, to uh, participate in the DEA research. I mean, it's, it almost seems like um, it's just like it's, it's crazy how, you know, you got people that are actually connected to the government to do research and they don't even know about growing. They don't have the infrastructure. And that's why you have, you know, I guess, conversation about booth. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm with you, Roz, and I, I'm sorry, but anytime. I, I hear people put the words marijuana and cigarette together in a sentence. I'm just like totally fucking turned off and I totally tune out because fucking marijuana is not fucking cigarettes. Marijuana is rolled up in fucking joints, spliffs, fucking any of those other type of different type of words, but not a fucking cigarette. Thank you, Jason. I agree. I think that you guys point bring all these really important points to the table, and I don't make soon to you know joke lightly about it. It's it's something we see constantly, and I really hope that we can get some quality products in the hands of people without big pharma and all this money just taking it over yet again. So hey, hey everyone, I'm, I'm a little confused, Liz. I, I I heard you say they're looking for cigarettes, and I'm like Roz. I I thought the DEA just approved for. Uh, manufacturers of cannabis. I hope that when they do the research, they don't just look at joints or cigarettes, but also use 
the flour in an electronic vaporizer or else we're going to just keep reproducing the same combustion uh, toxin mistakes that have been in prior research. I'm Dr. Felici and I'm done speaking. I think they're looking yeah, at all the kinds. Um, well, they said they said extracts, specifically isolates. They didn't say whole plant extracts or they didn't say plant material, but they did say marijuana cigarettes. And that's how they said it in there. Did they mention at all about the actual um, uh, legislation that's being passed, research leg legislation, that we that might be the only thing that gets passed regarding cannabis? I mean, because there, there's dollars and there's legislation on, on the table for research. So does this all tie in together? Is it different? It just seems so muddy. I don't know. You know, you don't know which way to turn. It doesn't mention that, Roz, but that's that's exactly it. I think, unfortunately, it's like the money's just turning around inside. I tried to make it funny because it's like, yeah, they have horrible cannabis and it's really a sad story. But yeah, it's they don't mention the companies. And if you look, I know when the DEA did drop the moratorium on research, I looked into that news story and wrote a couple articles on it. And, you know, they, they pulled in psilocybin, all the stuff at the same time. So it's just a move by money to in pharma, I think. Does, does anyone... I'm going to relight... <laughs> Does, does anyone actually even have any faith that NIDA is actually going to do their job in, in, in like a normal way and actually produce some viable research? Or is it just all just fucking smoke and mirrors? Hopefully we're at a place where that's going to happen. Yeah, not, um, Dr. Volkov, I think she's the real deal and yeah. really, really wants to give us some good research. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to quickly relight the room because we have a bunch of stories we still have to get to. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. This badass can of mom might be based in San Fran, but she's got the voice of a lost angel. She's the co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association, chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section, and founder of the San Fran Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project. Just a few of her many titles, as the sound of her sweet siren song has been known to lure legal opponents into a watery Frisco Bay death trap. Never to fuck over the innocent again. You have been warned. Laura DeCaro, what's the news today? Oh my God, I love that. That was hysterical, Rico. Thank you so much for that. You're amazing. Um, hi, everyone. Today, I'm talking about a tea party in Canada. Unfortunately, Samuel Adams, the brewer um, of beer here in Boston, has joined uh, forces with Entourage Health up in Canada to launch THC teas in Canada by July. This article is by Kristen Nichols for MJ Biz Daily. Um, so apparently, Boston, Massachusetts-based Boston Beer Company has joined forces with Entourage Health, Health, sorry, to launch non-alcoholic THC-infused teas in Canada. Its Toronto-based cannabis subsidiary, the BBCCC, will launch the line of canned iced teas called Teapot in select Canadian provinces beginning in July. Boston Beer, which makes Sam Adams, Truly Hard Seltzer, and Twisted Tea, is apparently among one of the first major brewers to roll out a THC-infused product up there. It'll contain 5 milligrams of THC from a quote-unquote proprietary sativa variety grown in Ontario by Entourage Health, 
according to the, the packaging, it looks like it's uh, Pedro's Sweet Sativa. Anyway, um, we can blame the federal paralyzation on legalization in the United States for the fact that the U.S. is losing out to the international market on these developments because the Boston Beer Company's head of cannabis said in a statement, as we await further progress in U.S. relations, we'll continue to develop an exciting product pipeline in the federally regulated market of Canada. The cannabis beverage category apparently is slow to grow, but it is allegedly generating enormous investment opportunities with international accounting firm Deloitte calling cannabis drinks one of the hot new cannabis products after a 2019 survey. But the sector is really slow to take off, and I would argue it um, uh, is not just about needing cold storage, but also about taking up a ton of space, having a reputation for being too sugary sweet, and creating an expensive drain on the already problematic and environmentally unfriendly supply chain that is the beverage industry. And Susan, you've pointed this out before, really the future of dehydrated beverages is, um, is really interesting and something that was not discussed in this particular article, but something that I definitely want to raise because I think it's really important as we focus on a more sustainable uh, and environmentally friendly um, uh, community and uh, provide alternative choices to people in the drink um, category. So anyways, I was going to say that um, I'll wrap this up with the, the current equivalency rates for cannabis possession limits in Canada mean that an individual can possess up to 30 grams of dried cannabis, but only 2.1 liters of a cannabis-infused beverage. So that's about five standard-sized cans. They say that this was a mistake, so they are currently looking at revised rules to correct this um, and the provide the to provide increased quantity um, equivalent to one gram of dried cannabis, which would equal about 48 standard-sized beverage cans. However, the new rules would not change the maximum limit of 10 milligrams per container. So I think it's kind of interesting to see what the beverage community is doing, especially in Canada where the market is a little bit more accessible to the big names. But my name is Laura DeCaro, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and I would love to hear what y'all y'all think about that. They should give all of us a case of it to try it out. <laughs> I'm I, I I looked at the website. I was trying to figure out if it was potentially, you know, less sweet. Um, but I can't uh, get to the ingredients even on the website. It's all made out of Canadian distillate, which is probably even worse than American distillate. Total boof. Pedro's Sweet Sativa. I don't know anything about Entourage Health and their ability to grow. Yeah, none of them have the ability to grow in Canada. That's why everybody hates Canadian weed. Doesn't sound too healthy to me. I love that whole category, Laura. Thanks for bringing it up. I think beverages are going to be super important, especially with lounges and, and, and mm -hmm. other spaces where people are consuming. So um, more the merrier. And, and um, beverages go through a, a really interesting cycle, having been involved in that industry for a long time. And you, right now they're in the white claw replacement world, but things are going <laughs> to get more sophisticated. There's going to be some really interesting stuff because more people from that industry are getting involved and they know how to bring some distinct uh, flavor profiles. It's interesting that you say it's a white uh, white claw replacement, uh, Eric, because I've been sipping on uh, that Lagunitis from like last weekend. It's pretty much all damn week. <laughs> yeah, that's one. <laughs> like, that's it's one. Not, like it's nothing. Yeah. 
<laughs> like that's just like some uh, Lacroix. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> what I mean. So I mean, you know, the spirits industry, you know, they go through this. So there's that stuff cycling out. It's been dominating for the last couple of years, but they're really good at at flavor taste making. So you know that though that. That DNA is, is seeping into our industry, and it's going to help us because we don't know beverages. That's not our, that's not our game. So that expertise is coming from other places. Hey, Jason, um, um, we're at the Artist Tree on Sunday. Do they sell a lot of cannabis beverages? Because the, the lounges that I've been to, I haven't really seen many cannabis beverages distributed. Um, I have looked on their menu, and they do have... Uh, a decent selection of cannabis beverages on, on on their menu, but it's not anything that I would ever purchase or buy. Right. Myself. Like, and I didn't see I didn't see anyone else that was purchasing yeah. them either. I saw people purchase pre rolls, and I saw people purchase eights, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out because I think people go to the lounges to smoke, but not so much to drink weed. Well, yeah, but right now I think that'll change too, and especially in California, where it's difficult to, you know, create a smoky environment, get around Prop sixty five, things like that. You're, you're going to want a more sophisticated menu of items, and you know, we do have teas here. I mean, Kikoko is a good tea. Um, it's just you know you have to brew it yourself. So there are options that we can serve. Agreed. They should they should give sell little packets of the powder too, so that you can add more. To bring it you, up past you, you adver advocating right. for the powder, huh, Susan? I am powdered yeah. beverages every day. You gotta wet yes. your whistle while you're while you're smoking. Sometimes, you know. I I can see the alcoholic establishments like bars and the cantinas everywhere being more afraid of the uh, cannabis beverages than the actual cannabis lounges. Do we know what the price point is? No, it didn't have any indicator of that, and not the I'm website. I'm so curious. It's it's not J hit the shelves until July. What does a typical cannabis beverage cost? What does what Hi-Fi Hops cost? Like eight bucks. Eight bucks a can, and how many cans have you dr had <laughs> since last weekend? They gave me uh, when we were at Emerald Cup. Um, when we were upstairs, they gave me like a, a whole bag full. You didn't see me leaving with like like a whole garbage bag full of them shits. I still got. Holy like, cow! I've been I've been drinking like three, four a day. The only thing is, there are <laughs> only two. So I got six it's left. It's like two milligrams TV, THC, two CBN, and even if you look at the cans, they're all such a small milligram thing, and you have to usually get a lot of sugar in that. So I think. And what, what's the plus or minus? Or ten milligrams. And what's the plus or minus in the lab? They can be off by five milligrams, right? So there could actually be zero in there. There could Jesus. totally be zero. You could just be drinking water. I got, I got I a just, placebo effect going on right now. <laughs> so, uh, Rico, it's actually $28 for one. Wait, what? God damn. What? Yeah. Yeah. I know what buying no No. Are you serious? On Sava. Yeah, Sava is showing $28. And then for the cans, those smaller drinks, it's saying 12 I don't know how many cans come with that one, but it says $12 for that. That's why no one. Oh, my God. Nobody is buying beverages. <laughs> beverages is the smallest percentage of the market and is going to continue to be. <laughs> it was, hey, Jason, it was also the fastest growing segment of the market well, when, so, you, when, I mean, when you're the smallest small, percentage you're always going to be fall. the fastest growing that's a that's a miss that's a miss bullshit that's a miss bullshit uh, well, well, how, no that's apples and oranges no, no, man no, fastest no, growing is fastest no, growing no, no. dude just give it up dude i mean really but you're but, I mean, but eric, you don't but eric you think about it though you could be 
growing fast, but still have a very small part of the market. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the fastest growing and smallest, but you know, fastest growing means something. Yeah. It it means nothing. It means nothing in sales. It went from like 1% to 3% in a year. Exactly. Exactly. Brandon, thank you, Brandon. Numbers lie. Brandon, I mean, Jason, Jason, you're going to break Clubhouse. (laughs) Turn it down. Turn it down. Yeah, loud loud don't mean right, dude. That's 200%. Thank you, Brandon. 200% growth. Susan, when life gives you no place else to turn, you can always turn the fuck up. Am I right? 100%. And Susan, you should turn your hearing aid down. Let's keep smoking the news. All right. Coming up next, if Bono had an anaconda, his name would be Ericus Lareda. But Bono doesn't have an anaconda because he's a stunt double named Ericus Lareda, known for his good deeds and being a true steward of the outdoor plant. His freedom-fighting farmer's friend and Bono's, not to mention an award-winning writer, journalist, event producer, and content ninja. Here to give it to you straight, it's Eric Hess Lareda. What do you have this morning for us, Eric? Thank you mucho, Jason. Uh, Hey, Brady, great to be here today. My headline is from the Los Angeles Times, and it's, sure, reduce pot taxes, but California needs bigger fixes to its broken cannabis market. Jumping right in here. So more than five years ago, Californians voted to legalize cannabis. The vast majority of pot sold in the state still comes from illegal sellers. To help the floundering legal market, Governor Gavin Newsom has proposed tax relief in his May budget revision designed to reduce pot taxes for three years and help struggling farmers and dispensary owners. Newsom wants to eliminate the cultivation tax, a flat per pound fee paid by cannabis farmers that has gone up each year as wholesale prices of cannabis has gone down, squeezing profits. That's a good move, though there's no guarantee it will result in significant price cuts for consumers. Still, the cultivation tax is poorly designed and ends up hurting farmers who try to play by the rules. It's also a smart, small step forward towards fixing this state's cannabis mess that was created in part by Prop 64, the 2016 ballot measure that legalized adult use and sale of cannabis. Legalization came with political compromise on taxes and rules that have stymied efforts to move illegal pot operators into the legal marketplace. Newsom's proposal would raise the 15% excise tax on cannabis sales to 19% in 2025, which officials estimate will bring in enough revenue to make up for the loss of the cultivation tax. During those three years, the state would, end, would spend up to $150 million annually to support programs that rely on cannabis tax revenue, including youth education and substance abuse prevention, environmental cleanup of, of illegal cannabis farms, and law enforcement. It's important to not starve those programs while the state tries to stabilize the legal market. I'm going to add that it's also important to recognize that now would be a good time to repair the inequity created with the emergency session hijacking that occurred the weekend before 64 was implemented that stripped the one-acre cap and allowed license stacking. Put the excise tax in single digits and let the 80-acre ops and 500,000 square foot giga grows pay a cultivation tax and let smaller operations be permanently exempt from any cultivation tax. That would also take care of the shortfall. Getting back to the article, Newsom's proposal is not a done deal. Prop 64 requires a two-thirds vote by the legislature to make significant changes to cannabis laws. Industry groups argue Newsom's proposal won't reduce taxes enough to help legal operators compete with the tax-free illicit market 
and they're lob- lobbying to cut the excise tax from 15 to 5%. Totally agree with that. That would be one of the lowest excise tax rates among states that have legalized recreational use. But tax cuts alone won't solve the markets, uh, the can- this cannabis market mess. There are other factors that continue to prop up the black market. Two-thirds of jurisdictions jurisdictions still ban cannabis-related businesses, as allowed by Prop 64's promise of local control. That doesn't mean people aren't selling or buying cannabis in those communities. They're just doing it illegally using unlicensed shops or dealers. Newsom wants to create a $20.5 million grant program to help cities develop licensing programs and start to permit pot shops. State and local regs also make it far too hard to get a license. California's quasi-legal medical market is decades old, yet the restrictions, costs, and hurdles of getting licensed have kept some, time, some long-time operators from joining the legal market. So um, just, I'm going to break from the article here and say that overall there's some good points here, but there's one thing I see missing from virtually all the coverage, good and bad, about the California market. We are completely unique as the longest-running, most sophisticated, and articulated unlicensed market in the world. For more than six decades, genetics have been flowing in from all over the world, reimagined by the best breeders, and then shipped out as top-shelf fire across the U.S. and the planet. That doesn't disappear overnight. In my opinion, it never goes away. Just look at alcohol prohibition. It took decades. It wasn't like flipping a switch, and they're still moonshiners. So buckle up. It's going to be a very long and bumpy ride, but we're an amazing, resilient, and creative community, so let's do this. And that's what I've got today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Gracias for having me up. Eric, I love your fix for the one-acre cap. Did you come up with that, or is that a conversation that's being had Well, I just came up with that. To me, it's just obvious. It was stripped out, you know, uh, in that emergency session right before um, 64 was implemented. Let's put it back for the big guys. They can pay it. They yeah. can pay it and make up the shortfall. Let the little guys off the hook. Make them exempt. I agree. I agree. I agree. Great idea. So you're like AOC and tax the rich, huh? Hell yeah. Poor, appropriately. What they can pay. They can pay it. If that, you can pay it, pay it. I, I don't think That's not it, Jason. Jason, hang on a second. A cultivation Jason. Tax. The t- cultivation tax. Jason, those guys... Those guys took advantage of the whole... We were promised a one-acre cap for five years. That was Steve took advantage of that, okay? Then fucking manipulated that whole fucking thing And around. not just Steve D'Angelo, but it, it needs to be fixed. It, it was... It, yeah, it was, and it was also fixed for a whole group of people that, that have been playing, bringing in outside money, VC, family office, all this bullshit, that small farmers, small operators don't have that advantage. So if we're having a shortfall, they can take care of it. Let them take we're, care of it. We're not if we were to redo, if we were to redo the vote, how many people would vote for Prop sixty four without the the one acre cap? Well, 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 what's the alternative? What's the alternative? It wouldn't. What, it what, wouldn't what, have won. I don't buy that for a second. What's the alternative? It would not have won. What's the alternative? What Eric just said. That's not an alternative. No one. No, fu- that, that, that people are just going to vote for sixty four. Then you don't have a, a basis for an alternative. Yeah, let's have the 64 that people voted for, which was for the one yes. acre cap. That's what people voted for, yep. and it got stripped out. And I don't care who did it. Let's just put it. Let's get what we voted for. It, it seems like the the, the advocates and the, and the farmers do all the heavy lifting. Then the deep pockets and the multi state operators exactly. come in and write the exactly legislation right. to their liking. Exactly. 
Yep, you nailed it, Rose. It's it's sad because it's like even these multi these MSO people are really crashing and burning. We're seeing it right in our face here in Santa Barbara County, and those are the people who came in and went around and got those big licenses. So they're they're crashing too. So it's coming fast and hard. So I don't know if we're going to be able to react in time. It's a big story, but we need to keep smoking the news. Let's do it. Coming straight out of Jason Beck's favorite winter private jet landing strip, Florida. This entrepreneurial bouse heads ultimate lifestyle brand, Black Buddha Cannabis, while holding dual titles as founder and CEO of Minorities for Medical Marijuana, as the legendary Mr. Pluto, a.k.a. Future, once said, at the same damn time. Up next is Roz McCarthy. What you got for us today, Roz? What up, Rico? Hey, everybody. So glad to be on, and I'm feeling so much better. I was so sick last week, so, man, it's good to hear you guys. So listen, um, really quickly, uh, my story comes from Green Entrepreneur um, by Tom Gaffey, and literally is asking what early primary victories mean for, well, I'm sorry, headline is what early primary victories mean for cannabis legalization and reform. The midterm primary season is officially in full swing. Several major races have already concluded, and there's a lot to unpack when analyzing the outcomes and the margins of victory. Several states that have not legalized marijuana for recreational use or for any use um, now have their, their official candidates for the November election. There are both incumbent, incumbents who likely offer little change to current policy and newcomers who may completely shift the trajectory of marijuana policy in their states. So let's take a look at it. Texas. Texas can't, stay, can't seem to stay out of the news. Uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott won his primary by a huge margin. Now he faced a worthy adversary and Democratic opponent, Beto O'Rourke. O'Rourke has won his primary by a large margin, and unlike Abbott, is a huge proponent for marijuana legalization. Remember, Texas is such a dry state, so it's ridiculous. He says, when I'm governor, we will legalize marijuana and expunge the records of those arrested for marijuana possession. While Texas almost always leans Republican, O'Rourke is likely to give some of the toughest competition the Republicans have seen in recent history if he pulls an upset. Um, then we go down to, well, and then it, it states that Austin votes to decriminalize weed, and overwhelmingly 85% of, of voters in Austin supported a measure to decriminalize marijuana. The ordinance, which will become law, will prohibit Austin police, police officers from issuing citations or making arrests for Class A or Class B misdemeanor possession of marijuana offenses, except for limited circumstances. And remember, guys, Austin is the capital of Texas. In Pennsylvania, the state rep Republican primary may have been too close to call, but the Democratic primary was a landslide for John Fetterman. Fetterman has been very outspoken about being an advocate for marijuana legalization. Some are pointing to his victory as a message that the states and Americans in general are eager for marijuana legalization. Um, in Ohio, the Republican primary victor and best-selling author Hillbilly Elegy, oh god dang, J.D. Vance will face off against Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan. While Vance has not been outspoken about cannabis legalization, Ryan has. Ryan is in favor of marijuana legalization and also voted in favor of the Moore Act. In North Carolina, many eyes are on the Senate race. Current Senator Richard Burr is retiring. The Democratic primary winner, Sherry Beasley, will be the first black woman to serve as senator in North Carolina. Beasley also said it's past time we legalize and regulate cannabis in North Carolina. So long story short, guys, you see there's a theme here. And I will tell you this, 
that if these different candidates really come out and come out the closet and support what the constituents want, I think they have a really fair chance, especially Democrats, have a fair chance in being able to win their election and to change the face of cannabis in their state. I'm Roz McCarthy signing off for the State of Cannabis News Hour. What do you guys think about this? The cannabis voting block is the real deal. Watch out, Dr. Oz. It's going to yeah, slap you real. across the face. I was trying it's to get Sophia, I was trying to get Safita with the National Cannabis Party on today, so I didn't get a chance to reach out to her. Um, that's uh, she's uh, running that with Redman, the the, uh, the hip hop artist, and Andrew Berenger, and other folks who are really um, seeing the value of creating. Um, not only the party, but really encouraging candidates to support cannabis legalization. Well, we'll get them. We'll get them later because this is going to continue to be a story. But let's keep smoking the news because I I want to get mine in too. Oh, Susan wants to get hers in too. Oh yeah, the beard was born and bred in Michigan. Maybe that's why this beard commands such a presence, because baby, it's cold outside. So cold that the beard was compelled to move to sunny Long Beach, California, where the beard received a law degree. Known in the bar exam as the Brandon Beard Award for high scores, this intellectual IP attorney and CEO of Fruit Slabs is none other than Brandon Dorsky. Let's go, Brandon. What do you have for us today? Thanks for having me. My headline comes from Leafy. It's man caught with over... 10,000 pounds worth of cannabis spared prison after outpouring of support from patients. Andrew Baines, a 46-year-old father of two, was caught with almost a pound of uh, a kilo of cannabis in Britain as remarkably avoided prison after an outpouring of support from the patients he serves. In January 2020, Andrew was found with 30 cannabis plants and roughly a kilo of cannabis in his home and was charged with multiple crimes, including production of a Class B drug under the Misuse of Drugs Act of 1971. The crimes could have resulted in a prison sentence of up to 30 years to life, but Andrew's motives and the meticulous records and quality relationships he kept with his patients may have been his saving grace. Andrew used his skills to illegally supply patients with medicine to treat cancer and other illnesses and treated the patients with cannabis without accepting money for his services. The Crown Prosecution Service gave consideration to the community weighing in and chose not to impose a prison sentence despite Andrew's admission of guilt and the corroborating evidence. Andrew did, however, receive a six-month community order, the lowest possible punishment allowed. Deputy District Judge Geraldine Kelly said, quote, if the law was different, Mr. Baines would have been applauded, not punished. I take the view that a community order is justified in this case, not because of you, but because of the message we must send. The judge may have been influenced by the reality that four years after a law was passed in the UK to allow for access to medical cannabis, only three prescriptions have been written by the NHS and access is still limited to only private clinics, which are inaccessible to most. An estimated 1.4 million Brits are actually self-sourcing cannabis to treat their conditions. Over 50,000 of those Brits are members of CanCard, a scheme that has prevented criminal charges from being levied over 2,000 patients since it began. Carly Barton, founder of CanCard, said about this case, I salute the CPS and the CPJ who made the fair decision not to imprison Andrew for providing access to life-changing medicine for people in need. Andrew has improved the lives of thousands of people who were sent home to die. The alternative for those people was to access these medicines via the criminal market, which pours money into county lines and causes harm. Experts like Adam are few and far between. Currently, they are bridging the gap that our healthcare system is not providing. 
Now we need to look at better access schemes so that those who need it can access cannabis so that our experts, like Andrew, are able to utilize their specialisms legally. Currently, our most knowledgeable scientists are operating underground, and this makes no sense. Andrew himself said, quote, as soon as they understood what I was doing, the police were brilliant with me. I was not handcuffed, and I was treated not as a criminal, but as a human being. The police get a lot of stick, but in my case, they were great, and it's a clear indication that they did not sign up to arrest people trying to help others. Andrew's solicitor in this case, Hannah Sampson, said she had never seen a six-month community order imposed. If you, if you steal a sandwich from Tesco, you get 12 months. Sampson also opined that, quote, Cases like this are fundamental in taking this back down to grassroots, so the police and the prosecution are making the right decisions. They have to differentiate between the medical cases and the county lines, where people are trying to profit on the black market of illegal substances, and at the moment the law doesn't allow for a difference between the two to be drawn. This case is a huge step. This case perhaps earmarks a wind of change. This case perhaps means that finally the law will catch up with the enormity of what cannabis can do to save lives." End quote. This case clearly illustrates the need and desire for legislative change. I do wish this case were citable in the American judicial system because it is precisely this type of logical reasoning exhibited by Sampson and Deputy District Judge Kelly that is needed to advance access to legal cannabis. We shouldn't be putting nonviolent cannabis offenders in prison. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News. This, this shouldn't be an amazing story, but it is an amazing story. I'm, I'm so glad that uh, you covered it. But I'm going to go right into mine because we are all, out of time almost. So my article comes from the Denver Post, and the headline is, Marijuana Labeling System, Not an Effective or Safe Way to Detail What's Inside the Products, CU Study Finds. Cannabis product labels fail to capture the chemical reality of what people smoke, a University of Colorado study has concluded after analyzing 90,000 samples offered for sale in six states. The widely used labeling system purported to predict effects in different cannabis strains, indica, sativa, and hybrid, obscures the diversity of chemicals cannabis consumers inhale, according to the study. Quote, the prevailing labeling system is not an effective or safe way to provide information about these products, unquote, said University of Colorado Information Sciences Professor Brian Keegan, who co-authored the study with Daniela Vergara, now at Cornell University. Imagine a woman walking into a liquor store to buy a bottle of wine labeled Cabernet, who then finds it to be Pinot Grigio. You would, quote, you would justifiably be upset, Keegan said. In the cannabis industry, those kinds of mis mismatches can happen frequently, unquote, if not in all cases. Uh, government regulators in Colorado and other states where marijuana has been legalized require companies to disclose dosages of THC and CBD. This focus led to a wide use of indica, sativa, and hybrid labels to distinguish different strains offered to consumers, according to this article. That's not the most important thing about ca the cannabis that's being consumed. There's a whole set of chemicals beyond THC that explain why different strains are different and why people might experience different effects. Companies aren't obligated to list compounds such as terpenes and flavonoids that play a greater role determining taste, smell, and effects. Quote, if you were trying to make dietary decisions using labels that only listed calories and fat, that would hamper your dietary decisions, unquote. And the current labeling of marijuana products is a profound disservice to consumers, Keegan said. 
As the ind industry continues to grow and become more professional, we need to evolve the information that we're giving the consumer. Knowledge is power. So stop saying sativa, indica, and hybrid. It's lazy marketing. Mm -hmm. So lazy. Especially this is a great story. And it's, and it's confusing. <laughs> I went into a dispensary and she was like, yeah, it's a sativa, but it leans a little bit to indica. And then it kind of fit that. I was like, what the F? I was like, I was so confused. And so giving a little shout out to Black Blue the Cannabis, we will not be doing that. We will be asking yeah. you what you're trying to experience and providing you with what you're trying to experience. And, you know, it is, it is not booze. And we're not for everybody, but it's about what you want to experience versus like she threw me so off with it. It was just crazy. This I wish you got video I, of it. I don't know. It's in Florida. I'm, it might be some booze. Well, it's interesting. And Jason, listen, no. <laughs> Brother, come on. You're going to love Black Buddha. It's going to be good stuff. So, we're, at the top, we're, we're at the top of the hour, but Liz, you get the last word. Thanks, Susan. Sorry. I just wanted to say I think this is great. It really showed when you looked at the research that some strains across the board, like white Tahoe cookies were very consistent and like other ones like Durban Poison were very inconsistent. And then a bunch of us being at the Emerald Cup Awards, we saw that they're breaking into terpene categories. And this really talked into that more about the different terpene categories that they're finding. So thanks so much for bringing the story, Susan. Yeah. Tim Blake, always at the cutting edge. We love the Emerald Cup. Anyway, we're at the top of the hour. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. Thank you, Rico and Jason, for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you tomorrow. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. Have a great day. Bye. <laughs> so another one. Let's do another one. Tax the Bye, Bye, Dr. Felicia. Bye. <laughs> One more. <laughs>